work is still very much a grind. You know, it's not, it's not, let's all go and play ping pong all day and, and drink kombucha on tap. <laughs> There's still very much hiking the ball, slamming to the line and hoping for breakthrough, but we need to have some alternatives so we can step back, be a little bit more strategic and create these beautiful environments to help people truly unleash their best work. Welcome to the L&D Podcast with your host, Nick Day of JGA Recruitment, specialist HR recruiters. This podcast is sponsored by Think Learning, specialists in learning and performance technologies. Visit thinklearning.com to find out more. Hello and welcome to the HR L&D podcast. My name is Nick Day and I'm from James Gray Associates, specialist HR recruiters. And today on the podcast, I am delighted and excited to be joined by Josh Schneider. Now, I came across Josh after he recently published his latest book, Five Days to Your Best Work Yet, A Human-Like Approach to Better Work. Now, essentially, this book tackles the strategies we can all use to help us find meaning in our daily lives, while at the same time, unlocking new levels of performance. Josh is a sought-after keynote speaker, so I'm usually happy to have him on this podcast to catch a little bit of his time today. And he actually recently delivered a superb talk on employee engagement and change management that really resonated with me. And I know it's going to resonate with you, my listeners, as well. At a high level, Josh is a bit of an expert on all aspects of um, I guess, human approaches to work. So I subsequently got in touch with Josh and following a very productive call, we decided to record this HRLND podcast so that I could have the opportunity of bringing his expertise to your inquisitive ears. So without further ado, welcome Josh to the HRLND podcast. How are you feeling today? Nick, I'm doing well. Got six hours of uninterrupted sleep with a newborn. So I mean, I'm on top of the world. Fantastic, fantastic. For those not in the know, me and Josh tried to record this uh, about a week or, or so ago, but he, he was expecting the delivery of his latest addition to his family. So hence the uh, the comment on sleep. We're getting six hours. <laughs> that sounds like a, a pretty good night's sleep when you've got a newborn on the way, on you know, just arrived. So that's fantastic. But listen, what I would like to do, because I've done my research into yourself, Josh, I've listened to a number of your talks, but a lot of listeners may not be as familiar. L&D Podcast Discovery, questions to set the scene. So I just wondered if you could kick us off with telling us a little bit about your journey to date um, that essentially led you to joining me on this podcast. Where did it all start? It all started, the date was October 1st, and I was walking into my first day as an auditor at a CPA firm. And by 9.23 a.m., I thought something is wrong with me. Um, I, I walked into this job and over the next couple of years, I, I saw how unhappy many people were. A lot of people said, Josh, I'm living the dream. And I'm thinking, doesn't sound like you're living the dream. And <laughs> through, I mean, it, it just, I'm glad I stayed though, because by yes. staying, I had the time to read about a hundred books on self-help leadership during that season. And it just sparked something in me that I think work should be enjoyable. And I think work should be fun. And I was too naive to know it was a, a bigger problem than me. But that's really how I got started and, and still what makes me go every day. 
Okay, fantastic. And in terms of your career journey then, obviously you started then October the 1st with the CPA. Can you tell listeners about your career journey today in terms of some of the roles that you've had and some of your experiences in terms of the, I guess, the demographic or the kind of people that you've been speaking to, particularly in relation to your keynote speaking exercises and, and obviously your, your books and so on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, after that time, went into the uh, project management world and fell in love with people, realizing how I treated my team impacted how they showed up every day. And that just that just sparked me into this. And so, gosh, I think going on 10 years now, um, doing what I do, waking up every day, and really my main audiences focus around HR leadership, financial institutions. But then you know, last year I did, uh, for here it's, it's palliative care and hospice. So people who are coming together to learn more about techniques and ideas on how to better serve their clients who are close to passing away. But I've got all these incredible leaders in the room. And like you said, the book, Human-Like Approach to Better Work, what we're seeing in the research is that everybody is a human and looking at human nature and really trying to unlock how can human nature and work come together? Fantastic. Fantastic. And one thing that I think really comes across strongly in your book is, and I'm going to try and put you on the spot a little bit here, Josh, but is, is your passion for storytelling. And I wondered if you could provide us with a little bit of a, I don't know, a story-based walkthrough of your latest book. You mentioned that, to, to reiterate the title, it's Five Days to Your Best Work Yet, A Human-Like Approach to Better Work. But is there a story within that book you can perhaps give us a little bit of a, a passage of or, or just talk us through so listeners get a feel for your, your storytelling style? Yeah, I... For one, I mean, who doesn't want to hear a story? Sure. Um, but it also helps because you, you come in, you speak to somebody or somebody listens to this podcast and they get a great spark or a great idea. And then they're in that meeting six weeks later. And, you know, what gives them some weight? What gives the brain an anchor to hold on? And so a lot of uh, every keynote, I start out opening with a story. And right now, the one that's kind of intriguing me the most and I talk about in the book is this idea of back in 1906, the game of football, of American football, was actually about to be canceled. And the reason was it had become so brutal. Uh, 20 players, 22 players had died as wow. a result of playing the game. 150 had broken limbs or were injured in such a way that it was going to impact their life in a negative way. And they actually said, like, we should, we should just cancel the game. And instead of that, they decided to come up with some new rules. One of those was something called the forward pass, which now we know of as the quarterback. But back then it was, it was foreign. Sure. And how you played the game was you hiked the ball, you slammed into the line and you hoped for breakthrough. And this led to boring games, two to four, which I'm a big, hey, off the record, I'm a Manchester United fan since hey. the Eric Cantona days. Yeah. I mean, over, over here, you know, we didn't have a lot of soccer to be able to watch on the telly, but way, way, way back as a little boy, when he flipped his collar up, I'm like, that's, that's who I love. Yeah, he was cool. But, he was very, very cool. But in, in, in American football, I mean, the, the scores are higher. And so back then... This hike the ball, slam into the line, and hope for breakthrough mentality was it, it was boring to watch, and this it just and it kind of I, as I'm reading about this one day, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is 
very much like how people show up to work every day. They're hiking the ball. They're, they're going through the motions. And back in 1906, when the new season kicked off with all of these new rules, none of the teams played by the new rule. None of the teams took advantage except for one little school, St. Louis University. It was about halftime. And Coach Eddie and his two-star players, they said, let's do this. We see a possibility for how something can be better. And they ended up going on winning that game. They actually finished the season undefeated and outscored their opponents by over 20 to 1. Wow. And so I kind of, I, I, I mean, utter dominant. I, I wonder what would it be like to have been playing against them? You're seeing this other team doing this incredible, this incredible new play, this incredible new possibility, yet your coach is saying, keep going back out there and doing what I told you to do. You know, can we try that cool thing? And I think that relays into culture, that relays into leadership, it relays into new generations that have different preferences. And so I think that is such a beautiful setup to what are some new rules? What are some new ways that human nature, that our employee brain is showing up saying, I want to win. How can I do it? Fantastic. It also creates some great imagery of, you know, we've all felt at one time in our lives that we were just hitting our heads against a brick wall, whether that's a, a defensive yes. line brick wall or something else. And then, you know, when you, you take your mind off and think about it in a different way, when you know, pick your head up and think about a, a problem strategically, suddenly you find a new route to to success. And um, I think that's a really interesting story that was certainly creating images for me in my head about, um, as I say, hitting your head against a brick wall and finding suddenly there's a new solution that you've yes. never considered before. Um, and that's fantastic. Yeah. What a great having, start. Having options because work, work is still very much a grind. You know, it's not, it's not let's all go and play ping pong all day and, and drink kombucha on tap. <laughs> there's still very much hiking the ball, slamming into the line and hoping for breakthrough. But we need to have some alternatives so we can step back, be a little bit more strategic and create these beautiful environments to help people truly unleash their best work. Fabulous. Well, listen, we're going to go into a little bit more detail about some of the strategies and insights that you're going to give our, our listeners about what you know techniques and things that people can utilize to, to um, I guess, improve their their engagement and their, and, their, and their working practices. Before we do, I would just like to break quickly to say I'm really delighted that Josh has uh, made a uh, five copies of his latest book, Five Days to Your Best Work Yet, A Human-Like Approach to Better Work, uh, available to us, the HILND podcast, to give away to you, our lovely listeners. So for your chance to get your hands on a copy, all you need to do is listen to this podcast and answer the following question as a little tip. The answer to this will, of course, be a little bit later on. So the question for the book giveaway is, if Josh had one superpower, what would it be? Once you've heard the answer later on in this podcast, please email your answers directly to myself at nick at jgarecruitment.com to enter. Um, and we'll be delighted to give away five free copies of his latest book, Five Days to Your Best Work Yet, A Human-Like Approach to Better Work. Right, let's get into some real detail now. So back to the podcast. Josh, one thing I know that you're really, really keen on on uh, doing is helping organizations make work better. So from following your talks and from reading parts of your book, it you talk a lot about believing that now is the time that that you know businesses and people should be disrupting work as usual 
and playing by new rules of engagement because you believe that human potential has never been more ready for new strategies and new insights on how we can win in the new business economy. So with that in mind, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about this and are there any actionable steps or new approaches that our listeners can can take away straight from listening to this podcast that perhaps you could recommend? Absolutely. And I, and I would say I feel like great leaders in many organizations across this globe are, this is one of the greatest questions that they're trying to go after every day. And many different cultures that I bump into find incredible, most recently, it was a, a roofing company and they go around and put roofs on and he has found a way to create and empower men and women in his organization. And you have a roofing company with incredible culture that is finding a way to tap into the potential of, of their human beings. And, you know, if I think the one thing that I'm finding resonates the most and, and probably solves the most amount of problems with one action is, is this idea. I call it the tingly feeling. Okay. And back at the CPA firm, uh, coworker Jen and I were out at a client. It's her and it's me. And we're working on these case files. And all of a sudden, she looks up at me and she goes, Josh, I've got a tingly feeling. Now, I'm single at the time. So I think this is good <laughs> for me. And, and then I realize the rest of the words that she says, she goes, because the numbers match. And I'm like, what? She goes, I've got a tingly feeling because the numbers match. And the first thought I had was I get so ticked off, so upset when I do three days or three weeks worth of work and the numbers match. Because for me, who I am, I feel like I wasted all of this time and we now have no new information other than the numbers did match. Sure. And at the time, I, I kind of brushed it off. But as I moved forward and really started to establish and 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 build out the institute and become more research focused to support the content, it dawned on me this experience, and I thought, "Oh my gosh!" In a in a environment or a career that most people would look at and say, "Boring, you don't get any excitement." Jen, my coworker Jen, found this thing that truly turned her on. Great. Fantastic. So, I mean, it, in many of your talks, you, you, you're tasked with the project of, of helping businesses and individuals sort of increase what you would say is performance, energy, and happiness. Obviously, that that tingling feeling kind of, uh, um, I guess, resonates with with all of those with all of those things. What would be the process that you would follow to achieve that for your clients? How would you get them to increase their performance, energy, and happiness, and, and I guess achieve that 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 tingly feel? Well, I think that the energy and the engagement and the performance come as a result of that tingly feeling. So when we started to look at what happens in the brain or what happened in Jen's brain when those numbers matched, when those numbers matched, her body, her brain released dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin, flooded it into her system. And as a result of that, like, you know, when we, we have a beer after work, dopamine is released into our system. When we open that special bottle of wine, dopamine is released into our system. And that's where we start to associate these feel-good chemicals with having a good time. And so 
I've started to say, how at work, how can we create an environment at work that starts to release dopamine into our system? And I think if we can do that, we're now trying to find something that we can control. You know, I was with a, a group a couple months ago and the gentleman was showing me something on his computer and we're looking at this spreadsheet and he goes, Josh, the spreadsheet tells a story. <laughs> and, I, and I looked at him and I said, excuse me. He's like, no, look at it. The spreadsheet tells a story. And I, I love that moment because once again, something that could be as benign as a spreadsheet, I do believe that every human being has this moment. Sometimes we look at things like purpose and what are your passions? And I've found that those questions are so, they're so difficult to nail down. You know, especially you're an HR leader and you really care about your people. You, you may truly, genuinely in your heart of hearts want to help your culture or your people establish purpose, but that's a big question. And so I started to say, can we help somebody find out what that tingly feeling is? The part of their work that when they do it, they're so engaged, they're so turned on. And here's the crazy thing, Nick, we have seen that this tingly feeling happens about four to 5% of a work Wow. Okay. So very, very small time. Very little. And with the wrong focus, all of a sudden we're focusing on all of those other tasks. So for example, for me, right? Keynote speaking is my absolute. When I am doing that, that is tingly feeling. When I'm on stage in front of hundreds of leaders, whatever the environment, I am on fire. However, when I come off that stage, I've got emails to respond to. I've got sales phone calls to get onto. I've got pre-keynote sessions where we're going to dive deep. I've got research. I've got bookkeeping. I've got to talk with my team. We're sure. working on research. I've got all of these other tasks that, you know, some of them are okay and some of them are just downright awful. But I know that I've got this 4%, this 5% of my work week. And if I give that my focus and my attention, it starts to drive everything else. And I think the things that truly matter, engagement, happiness, energy that you had mentioned. So for someone who you know is, is listening to this now, perhaps, you know, when you for me certainly in the past, when my that switch has been turned and I decide I'm ready for something new. Obviously we come across these individuals all the time in a recruitment environment who, you know, suddenly people say, look, I need to change jobs. I find often that once that that switch has been turned, it's very difficult to switch it back to very difficult to get or so it was for me to get my engagement back when I've made that decision that actually I've had enough or I'm no longer happy uh, in this job or in this role that I'm doing what would be your process or how do you go about establishing um what that tingly feeling is right from the outset you've got someone who perhaps is is lacking in engagement or you know just doesn't doesn't know how to get that tingly feeling what would be your process of establishing what that is and and, and how would you help them find it so two, two things. One is I think oftentimes in a very quick series of conversations or questions, you can kind of get to the heart of it. What was the best part about your day? Oh, I hated my day. Okay, well, let's look at last week. What was the best part of your week? Well, I got to do this. Okay, what about this did you enjoy? Well, I did this. And you know, what problem did you find or what opportunity? 
with a, within five minutes, you know, if you're able to look someone eye to eye, you can usually get to not all jobs are 100% evil. Absolutely sure. not. Sure. But it takes some time. We may not always have that time. And so part of what we've started to do is put together so the tingly feeling, cute, funny name, maybe make some people already stop listening. <laughs> but we we took this idea of a compass because if you and I are out in the woods and we're lost, if we pull out that compass, at least we know how to make a correction to get to where we need to go, right? Sure. However, at work, like you said, I've made up my mind. And then you say, well, what don't you love? And usually it comes down to what I've seen is I don't love my leadership or I don't love the amount of money that I'm making. And so that leaves us very little control. We've put in what we call eight true north elements. And what these elements um, measure or kind of what is going on in the back end, what is going on, if you will, inside of the employee brain. A couple of those that I talk about in the book, one is this idea of, of pace. Um, so the pace of work, Sure. maybe you are in a role that's very steady, very consistent. And all of a sudden these projects swell up that require you to have a more frenetic, excitable pace. You wake up one day, two months into those projects and you, <laughs> you call Nick because you're like, I got to get out. Yeah. Yeah. Your breaking point. Yes. And you know what? Maybe you loved the organization. You loved the mission. You loved your job. But now two months later, you find yourself in this deep, dark hole and you have no idea why. And so we have this assessment that allows you to get some clarity on what are some of your true north elements. Another one of them is, is problems. I personally love solving big problems. I love when I come into an organization and everyone's looking around the table saying, how are we going to do this? I have no idea. <laughs> Because to me, if we're in the deep end of the pool, does it matter if we're 10 feet under or one inch under? Like if we're underwater, we're underwater. So let's jump in. Where other people, same scenario, right? All of a sudden they start having to deal with problems every day. They don't want to deal with problems. They wake up. I don't think I love my job anymore. Or I hate my job. And with working through these true north elements, it allows you to get some clarity and say, wow, that's what's going on. Or gives you more context for your day so that way you can maybe make a decision that will allow you to show up differently or at least understand. Sure. No, I like that. And I'm, I'm personally, I know people learn in different ways, but I'm very much a visual learner. So for me, I like the compass analogy because a thing with a compass, it doesn't just allow you to go forward, but it also allows you to find your way back. And if you were if I was enjoying a job, you know, I've never had that ability to be able to find my way back before. I've always gone towards north and, and, and made a change. But actually, with the right coaching, with the right individual, I'm sure had they focused on those things at that time, I could have probably found my way back as well. Um, and I, I, love, I love the image that creates for me. I also love the image you mentioned of the uh, spreadsheet creating a story. And it just gave me an image of the matrix. <laughs> you know, where these numbers kind of jump out and suddenly you can see the picture, but only some people can see it. Um, fantastic. Well, listen, what we're going to do in the second part of this podcast, we're going to delve a little bit deeper into the book. And obviously, you've, you've written a couple of books. We're going to talk about some of the other uh, books you've written as well and, and, and you know what they can tell us and what they can teach us. Uh, so before we do, I just want to very quickly just to find out a little bit more about yourself, Josh. Time to find out more about you. 
So very quickly, how would your friends describe you? Oh, well, I would say they think I'm a little bit different. Um, you know, when I was at the CPA firm, I had, <laughs> I had one of the partners. He's like, Josh, you see the world differently than everybody else. And he was also one of the partners that encouraged me to uh, take a, a different step in my career. Okay. And I think I've always, I don't know if it was being an only child for 14 years of my life or what, but, you know, I, I'm definitely, uh, you know, I see the world differently. And they would also say that I'm very particular about my glassware, my my coffee mugs, I like certain style. For wine glasses, I like a certain style. For water cups, I like a certain style of cup. Interesting. So not all fancy, but I'm I'm particular. Okay. Well, I think in the UK, we'd call that quirky. Um, but I like that. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is your proudest achievement to date? I mean, I think the, the default answer out of just the, the status of, of my heart and why I do what I do is, is my family, my wife who said yes before she realized what she was getting into. <laughs> um, and, and now three kids and helping raise them, um, you know, is, is, is truly an honor, you know, for me personally, having this idea that I could help. I think, I think many people wake up saying, I want to make the world a better place. They don't always know how. And so seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, whatever it was, when I, embarked on what I would say this journey of of arriving where I'm at now and and being able to provide for my family and have resources to commission research to build a team to get to I mean it sometimes I just have to wake up and and just be so grateful for what, the problems that I get to think about on a daily basis like that is just uh, I mean it's it has been a hard journey and it is not done yet, but I'm just, I feel blessed to have the heart that cares about the problems that I do. Great. Well, what a, what a great place to, great place to be. Um, I think the next question I've got is going to be a, a, maybe a tougher one because I'm speaking to someone who clearly motivates a number of people in the world, certainly motivates businesses to work better. So who is it that motivates you and why? Kind of two ends of it. There was a quote I saw years ago by Leonardo da Vinci that said something along the lines of, I've offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality that it could have. And that was always so fascinating to me because <laughs> it's like you look at his notebooks, you see what he has accomplished, the visions that he had. And you know, I read deeper and said, a man with great vision without a degree of discipline and strategy and focus behind him is going to leave his life feeling this way. And so that has really sparked me to, to I am a, a big thinker. I love to float from one thing to the next, but over the last five years, trying to bring discipline and focus. So that, you know, that side of motivation. And then there's the other side of what motivates me. I have this picture in my mind. I'm sitting in Starbucks. I'm having a cup of coffee. I see a man come into the parking lot. He gets out of his minivan. He kind of slumps his way into, into the, the coffee shop, gets his coffee, doesn't really crack a smile the whole time, gets back out to his, his minivan and pulls away. And, and I just look at, at that human being and I think that man is doing everything possible for his family and he's just burnt out 
he's frustrated, maybe he's not getting the results that he wants. The man's driving a minivan for his family. <laughs> and, and whatever I could do in my life to help an individual like that with a huge heart who wants to go to work and win, if I could give him some strategies, like, and, and I will hold that picture for the rest of my life. No, that's a great example. If this um, makes me think about something that I read on your on your website. I think it was actually um, related to the tingly feeling section, which uh, which I'll put a link to in the episode notes. But you know, you you, you talk a lot about where for some work you know, can be a, a filled with passion, excitement, and and so on. But it can then often become a job that's just about obligation. Um, you know, and, and it's just about getting through. And it's that point that sometimes it. You learn, you know, you become to hate it. But you, you talk about something called hypoxia. Um, you're probably better explaining it than I am. But I know that you talk about how, you know, where meaningful work kind of acts as, as like oxygen to the employee brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and without that, we start to shut down. Um, I think that that's probably quite relevant to to what you just mentioned. I don't know if you can, might be better for you to explain it better than I can, or, or I can quickly jump to your website and have a look. But I know that you talk about something called hypoxia, which, um, you know, is, is, is where we need, you know, we, we use it, the employee brain. I think you reference it like, like oxygen, but yeah. perhaps you, you could expand yeah. on it. Yeah. It's, I mean, that, that I think is exactly it. Hypoxia is when the human brain becomes deprived of oxygen. It begins to shut down after about three to four minutes. You, you, you're, you're making very poor decisions. Like you don't know us what a square, like, you know, that kid's toy, a square, peg goes into a square hole you can't you can't figure that out and very shortly after you can you can actually start to die and and lose brain cells and so like in the human environment it's very dangerous hypoxia is what happens when we we don't have oxygen um you know in the employee brain i think if you go too long without meaningful work too long without sparks of innovation excitement engagement for who you can become that your employee brain starts to shut down and in my keynotes, I show this video of somebody in an oxygen chamber and they're, they're like saying to the individual in the chamber who was going through this exercise of feeling what it was like to, to have oxygen deprivation. They're saying, put your mask back on, put your mask back on, put your mask back on. And he, he's, he's got this grin on his face staring back at them. And they're like, put your mask on. And they had to have somebody else come over and put it on. And they're like, you would have died if it wasn't for now granted it was you know he was not that that close to dying because it was a controlled environment but it's once you get into it and your brain starts to get your employee brain starts to get those feelings you shut off and you you may desire something more but how you get to the other side becomes so hard without i think some clear strategies sure sure so for yourself when you were younger, before you, you know, became author and keynote speaker as you are now on 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 all aspects of uh, employee engagement and 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 work and performance, what did you want to be when you were a child? <laughs> as I guess, as boring as it as it might sound, uh, I always had this vision of of wearing a suit and walking into tall buildings. Oh wow! Okay. Um, <laughs> And, you know, it's funny because it doesn't, it does not matter how many times I've been to New York City. I look like a tourist. Like (laughs) I, (laughs) my chin is, is pointing straight up towards the sun and I'm walking. Like I, I've always been fascinated with big cities and tall buildings. And 
Well, I don't always wear a suit every day, but I get to go into tall buildings, although convention centers are not always tall. But you've achieved, flatter, your, but, achieved uh, your aim as a child, <laughs> yes. great. <laughs> well, for those listening and really keen to find out because they're, they're keen to get a, a hand on a copy of your latest book, I have to ask you this last question before we jump back into the, uh, the depth of the interview. If you could be given any superpower, Josh, what would it be and why? So hard to... I need the genie so I can pick three, but I feel like being able to fly very fast would be the ultimate luxury. I'm, I'm obsessed with time. And I don't focus a lot on on my management of my task, but I'm thinking in time, how do I get to my family? How do I reach more people? So if I could if I could be sitting across the desk from you right now and then be back over here in the middle of the states today, the sure. middle of the states today, like that, that would be worthwhile. And also to leap from tall building to tall building, like what would that even feel like? <laughs> you want to talk about dope? You want to talk about dopamine? That would be some dopamine. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> well, listen, for the sake of the book, if I now down, you've got a choice of flight, you've got a choice of uh, what would that be like? Time travel, I guess, or the ability to leap from buildings. <laughs> where where we where we go? We're we gonna lay your hat on. <laughs> Did I slip three in there? It's got to be flying. flying. Flying bar none would have to be the best. Excellent. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. Well, you heard it here first. So drop me an email, nick at jjrecruitment.com with that answer and be in with an opportunity of winning one of five copies of his latest book, Five Days to Your Best Work Get a Human-Like Approach to Better Work. Well, look, let's go to a quick advert break and we're going to jump into some questions uh, all about the book. Engage, learn, perform with Think Learning, specialists in learning and performance technologies. We're experts in solving the challenges of targeting, tracking, training in regulated environments. We have developed the Totara platform to provide a cost-effective, organisation-wide talent solution that can help you to provide a safer and better place to work. Customizable Workflows promotes engagement through onboarding and induction, whilst an intuitive user interface helps drive ongoing engagement with learning. Bespoke workflows for performance appraisal and integration to payroll and recruitment systems transform Totara into a powerful and holistic talent platform. You'll find us to be responsive, collaborative and solution focused. Visit thinklearning.com for more information. The L&D Podcast, final questions to help listeners engage, learn and perform. So first question, Josh. Now, before we jump into your latest book, I know that the first book you actually released is called Generation Next Level. Uh, it calls the next generation of leaders to play to their strengths and do work that matters. Can you tell us a little bit more about that first book? Yeah, the you know, I had a mentor at the time, John Maxwell, who has written over 90, 90 leadership books. And he had said, uh, your first book is going to suck, so you might as well get it out of the way. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so that was my guiding light of, oh, well, I should write a book and get the first one out of the way. But the heart of that book was really coming out of that season of being at the CPA firm and starting to do work that, that I loved and was engaging. And so I came up with these 12 these 12 laws, these 12 principles that if somebody who has maybe no direction or somebody who is saying, Hey, like, 
what am I working for? Can walk through this book and get some clarity. Um, definitely, you know, geared towards maybe a younger generation, but every once in a while I pick it up and I start to read some of the stuff in it. And then I think, Josh, <laughs> you knew this seven years ago. Why aren't you talking about this now? That was good. So although it was the first one, um, you know, it really, I'm so glad to have captured the, the raw emotion of that season of life and really deliver it to somebody who's finishing their studies, somebody who's fresh into their career and really give them some, some, some juice for how to um, kind of step up and, and really lean into who they can become. Excellent. Fantastic. And these books, by the way, are available on Josh's website, which is joshsnyder.com. And I will put a link in the episode notes for those interested in finding out a little bit more. If you want to go straight to uh, straight to the heart of all the, all the different publications that Josh has been involved in, I'll make sure those links are available. Now, also, Josh, to increase the impact of the work that you do, you also founded the Millennial and Employee Engagement Institute, which I think is uh, about curating and developing research to help unlock people performance, which was clearly is something you're very passionate about. I therefore wondered if you'd be able to provide us with some of your key strategies for unlocking leadership potential. Yeah, I think when it, the whole idea with the Institute was to start to become more research focused because I love stories. I love big examples, but it was like, how do we also tie in to truly giving something that has some background to it? And there's so much incredible research out there that I said, we need to help distill this down and bring it to companies and bring it to leaders. And so in terms of you know, the strategies of how to truly develop being a leader, I think it depends on the culture and the environment, but I do believe that each and every manager, each and every leader has the opportunity to lead from their heart. And that doesn't mean that you don't get upset. I mean, think about those that are closest to you. I think about my wife, Jenna. Sometimes she's the one that gets the most amount of passion out of me. And sometimes that passion is not always positive. Sure. And so just because your heart is full for your people, it doesn't mean that you're not correcting them or that you're not helping them. Um, but I think like foremost, I have to always ask myself, if I'm frustrated with somebody, am I going to go to them out of my mind's frustration or am I going to lead with my heart and lead with my lead with love almost first as, as silly as it sounds. And then secondly, the other thing that I have seen starting to get an incredible amount of traction is, um, a couple of years ago, I was doing some work with Chick-fil-A, which in the States is an incredible organization that makes chicken sandwiches. And they, their culture, they care about their people. For every new franchise that or, or new location that opens up, they have almost 10,000 people apply wow. to be the franchise owner for that location. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's an, what they do is incredible. And so, there was a speaker they brought in at their conference who talked about this idea of creating an alliance. And in, in a, a fast food culture, you have incredible turnover. And so how do you fight the turnover? One is yeah, having a, a good culture or whatever. But one of the things that I've started to take from my experience with them where their turnover was way lower than the industry average was a lot of the leaders implemented this idea of the, of the alliance of a contract, meaning 
Nick, you as my leader come to me and you say, Josh, I need this, this, and this from you. Sure. And I need this, this, and this from you for the next, let's say, 12 months. If you can begin to do those things, do these things, I can really see where you can grow. I can really see where you can step into the next level. In return for you doing these things for me, what are some things that I can help you get? What are some opportunities that I can help you get? And having a very frank conversation where maybe somebody says, hey, I don't think I want to stay in this organization anymore. Instead of pushing them out the door or, or freaking, it's a matter of, okay, would a six-month timeline or a 12-month timeline to that be something that's reasonable? You can help me accomplish these things and I can help you accomplish where you need to go next. And it just starts to change the conversation um, so much. And I mean, I feel like with leadership principles, we can just keep going sure. down and down and down. But I think it was Steve Wynn once said, if you can do something for somebody that they cannot do for themselves, then you've hit the bullseye in human relations. And as a leader, as a manager, if I can create this environment where if, even if at a minimum, I believe in somebody more than they believe in themselves, then I can carry that with me. And I'm going to always come from a basis of, of health and a basis of love. No, I love that. And, and who, wouldn't, who wouldn't be inspired or who wouldn't want to, want to work for a leader like that? So uh, what, a, what a great way to finish that, finish that summary. And I think, um, you know, can't, can't not agree with the, with the heart uh, and the collaboration side of the answers either. I think um, a fantastic, fantastic response and, and finish with a, with a brilliant quote. So um, great. On your, on your website, Josh, um, there's, there's a section on your website where you ask us to imagine a world where we wake up inspired to go to work, we feel valued, we're totally engaged, and we get to use our skills and strengths to solve problems. And yet, you also highlight that right now, at the moment, there's sort of 83% of individuals who are stressed at work, 55% are unsatisfied with their jobs, and 47% are struggling to stay happy. So from your ex experience, where is this disconnect happening? And, and how can we turn those statistics on their head to that people are more engaged and they are you know, starting to live in that imagined world that you, you've so you know, beautifully created? Out of the gate, there are incredible companies and organizations that are, <laughs> they skew these statistics so sure. hardcore. Um, one of my other favorites is that um, Gail found that only 13% of people love their job and are not looking, which is very interesting given, at least I know over here, and I think more globally than ever, the, the, um, the rate of people that have that have jobs right now like unemployment is is so low the employment rate is so high yeah i agree that's why there's a, such a war on talent and um but you're right I and mean, i work in recruitment and for the right opportunity we call them passive candidates but um most people can can have their head turned if the right opportunity exists and so it's so fascinating to me uh, last year i did i came into a recruiting organization and, and spoke at their annual conference and in doing the research it was so fascinating. They're saying we're, we're having trouble getting candidates to, to move and fill these positions. And to your point, there's this research that's showing so many people are unsatisfied. And so if so many people are unsatisfied, yet so few people seem so incumbent to move, it, you know, 
are people entering into a state of comfort or are they driven by fear? And it's beautiful that our, that our bodies and our brains are engineered to keep us safe and change and, and, and new things is something that absolutely can scare us. And I, I don't always go back to the beginning of, of time when we were focused on running away from animals that were trying to eat us and constantly finding food to make sure we didn't starve. But I think we've, we've kind of crossed out of that. And, you know, if we look at the brain chemistry, the brain chemistry cannot operate in fear and love at the same time. And we're either going to be driven by this sense of fear. And there's leaders out there that get incredible amounts of work out of their people driven by fear. But is there this other side where we can focus on creating dopamine, where we can focus on creating oxytocin? I mean, you want to look at the power of oxytocin. When a woman gives birth, her body produces a 500x boost of oxytocin. So that's how a woman goes from incredible pain to all of a sudden in a split moment, this, this blissful moment. And that is from oxytocin. And if we can find ways, and I think that the tingly feeling and one of the other things that I, that I talk about a lot is focusing on this, this idea of Meiraki. And Meiraki is a Greek term that when translated into English means the soul, the love, of your work. It means the part of you that you actually leave in your work. And, you know, if you think about going to your favorite restaurant and you sit down at the table and the server approaches the table and says, hello, my name is Josh. Here's the menus, pulls out their little pad, reads a couple of the specials. I've got a halibut with some pesto and I also have a tomahawk bone-in ribeye. Once again, I'm Josh. I'll be back. You know, that server leaves that transaction. And, and you at the table, you feel probably relatively confident. You feel comfortable. But if this server with some Meraki shows up and he doesn't hand over the menus and he looks you in the eye, he looks the rest of the table in the eye and he says, welcome. My name is Josh. I'll be taking care of you tonight. I was just with the chef and he had a couple of additions to the menu that he wanted me to share with you. And uh, foremost is halibut, which was just flown in this afternoon. And he's done it in a little bit of a pesto right onto the grill. Get some sear marks and really lock in the flavor. He's also prepared a citrus vinaigrette, tossing that and some heirloom tomato and arugula. So on the dish, you're going to have this little sweet and salty play really to kind of open up your palate. Additionally, tonight I have a bone-in ribeye, which was aged at our locker down at the Eastern Market. And in that locker, it's, it's lined with Himalayan salt. If you and I were to go stand in there for two minutes and lick our lips, it would remind us of the warm Mediterranean Sea. I mean, and at this point, you're like, you're making me hungry vegan, right now. I think I want both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that when we think about how can we, the differences between the two was not radical. The difference was this Meiraki, was this love and this passion. And when we can find ways to turn on love and passion for people, to create an environment at work where the little twists, these little sparks 
can find ways to show up. Um, you know, it true. I, I, I think it truly begins to combat the numbers that we see there. Sure. Well, I think that's um, a fantastic. I really enjoyed just just listening. There, I was just uh, you. You caught me on your uh, dreaming on, on your words of uh, of good food, but um, I un- totally understand the point. I think also, you know, going back to the statistical side of things, I think you talk about a lot of people being, you know, potentially unhappy in their jobs, and I think sometimes. You know, to, to, to relate that to the, the fear aspect that you mentioned, it's very easy to say you're dissatisfied, but it's it's much harder to to vote with your feet by actually making a physical change. I think sometimes it's easy for us all just to vent a little and go, oh, this isn't right and I'm not happy about this. But actually, when it comes down to making a change that, that could affect the security of your family or your economics or all the other bits and pieces that tie into a, a career choice, it's a lot harder to make that change. And I do agree, it's fear that very much is, is holding people back. They just wonder, is that, are they good enough or you know, can they take this on and will they be secure? Um, but as you say, if there was a, a server in this instance that was really pitching the right opportunity at the right time with with all you know and really made it resonate with them, you might find they're a lot less fearful of making those decisions. Um, no, it was a really, really engaging way of putting it. Here's the crazy thing. Um, there was a New York Times bestselling book quite a few years ago called The Answer. And in that book, he quotes a study where they found by the time we've turned 18, we've heard, no, you can't, 150,000 times. Wow. Which I thought was impossible, but now having three little ones, I get it. Like you, (laughs) you don't say no just one time, you say them in bunches. And so it creates kind of this negative feel. Don't do that. Watch out. The risk is too big. Be careful. Don't jump off that. Get down. He also found, or this study also found that we, the good news though, is we hear, yes, you can 5,000 times. Now, it took me five years to get a four-year college degree in accounting, so that should have been the clue on the front end, but <laughs> that's a 30-to-1 negative ratio, a 30-to-1 negative ratio of no being more powerful than yes. The National Science Foundation has found we have roughly 50,000 thoughts a day. I think if you're an above-average coffee drinker like I am, it's closer to 70,000. And so we have 70,000 thoughts a day running through our mind that are more negative than positive. And then you couple that with you know, the report card scenario that, that some of us talk about where your child brings home a report card with three A's, two B's, and a C. And like, what's, what's the grade that gets the attention? It's crazy, just those statistics you were just, la- you were just listening, the 30 to 1 yes to no's. Um, wow. You know, that's where for me, a human-like approach we look at engagement of employees. We call it employee engagement. And I think, at least over here, the amount of money being spent to try and solve employee engagement is, is making a change, but, but not a massive change. And so I think we are more connected than ever. Uh, millennials and now Generation Z are more comfortable than ever. You ask a millennial, what do they do before they go to bed? They check their phone. They check their work email. You ask them, what's the first thing they do when they wake up? They check their phone. They check their work email. That that wasn't something that we talked about 20, 30 years ago. Sure. And so, you know, I don't I don't want to navigate down that that millennial path with this conversation. But you know, we we are in a, a very fascinating time, and 
of, of work. And so how do we create these opportunities that allow people to go against the stream of how they've been raised or the thinking that they've been raised in? Well, and interestingly, I mean, you're, you're, maybe this is a, a really relevant time to pick this up, but your new book states that obviously something has to change to improve these statistics. And there's something in it that you, you say that you, we can experience significant change um, within just five days. So can you tell us a little bit more about what the strategies would be or what things we could do to start seeing some of these significant changes occur in such a short, short space of time? Absolutely. And, and I think that, especially leaders, we are busier than ever. And so this, this book was designed to be short. This book was designed to be something you could throw in, in your bag and not be stressed out because it's taking up room. Um, and, you know, the setup is, is, hey, there's a new set of opportunities here. And day, in one, day one and two, walk through kind of where you are and where do you want to go just establishing some groundwork. And then once we get into days three, four, and five, we start to focus on what are you best at? And so day three could could truly be kind of that of a strengths conversation. And I think one of the the, the biggest misconceptions on strengths and, and Marcus Buckingham, who in some ways I consider to be the, the father of strengths along with, with Gallup, um, he's very passionate about strengths and weaknesses are not about things that you're good at versus things that you're bad at. Strengths and weaknesses are really about things that energize you and give you energy versus a weakness being something that drains your energy. You could, you could probably edit somebody's blog post and you could do a smash up job. But when you're done, if you never have to do that thing again, you're really happy. So it's not always about what you're good at and what you're bad at. And kind of walk through that on day uh, three. Day four truly dives into the tingly feeling and walks through these eight different true north elements. Um, and then day five kind of says, who do you want to be? And I think we are in a culture that is very focused on what are you doing? You know, you run into somebody you haven't seen for a while. Oh, what are you up to? You, you have a, a picnic this summer with family who you haven't seen in two years. What are you doing? And everyone's so focused on the doing. And I think sometimes we have to detach ourselves from the outcome of what we want or what we're working towards. And we need to focus on our efforts and who we're becoming. And I... Yeah, I was going to say, and, and you know, if we, if we follow that path, as you say, it's not a not a huge book. It's easy for people to digest, which is uh, you know, one of the reasons that anyone listening to this, it's well worth well worth picking up a copy. But the fact of the matter is, if we follow your guide within five days, we should start to be able to establish what it is that gives us those uh, those energizing, tingly feelings, as you put it, if you like, to to allow us to. I guess to be more engaged, but you you, you believe that can if if we, if we follow those guidelines within five days, we can start to see some real some, some real results. Absolutely, and and I you know I kind of see the world in forty five to sixty minute increments. <laughs> That's how long I'm usually on stage for. And you know, somebody once said, Josh, do you really think you can help somebody's life get better in, in forty five minutes? What could you possibly? And I believe app. Uh, I mean, yes. Do and I say this at the end of the book that this book is not the one and only resource. However, this book is designed how I think about a keynote. In 45 minutes with a keynote, 
want to come in and I want to open up some new possibilities, a new way of thinking, crack the door that's maybe never been cracked before. And then I want to deliver two to three rock solid, hard hitting strategies that if you begin to implement, you're going to see a change. And the book to me is it's, (laughs) is it the one and only resource for how to, to, to make your life better at work? Heck no. But I believe it's engineered for how busy we are, how distracted we are, and gives what I think are the most important things for right now in five days. Excellent. Fantastic. So, well, listen, we're going to open the L&D vault in just a moment. And before we finish off this podcast, I've got one last question I'd like to ask you in relation to, I guess, what you're seeing in the marketplace in the moment, Josh. So what was the biggest engagement frustration you have right now? And, and do you think it should be disrupted if you had the choice? There's so many <laughs> problems. One of the questions I love to ask at, on a, a pre-keynote call is, you know, if we were to get together in 12 months from now, um, what has changed as a result of us working together? And I think if I could sum it up, there maybe there seems to be a, a lack of a lack of ownership in a lot of people. Um, I, I think that this year, the, in my mind, culture was always big, but I've seen people doubling down again, focusing on culture and, you know, how do you take all of these social changes? How do you take how people are showing up to work with these distractions and, and truly create something, get them focused around something? that can give them ownership because so many businesses I think want to grow and they have, they're turning down business because they can't get enough of the good people on board. And so, you know, if I could distill it down to, to two things, it might be ownership, it might be culture, um, which are really big pieces to tackle. And that's where I've said, you know, if we can go down to the human level and we can start to help every individual, find out what their tingly feeling is and we can turn them on and this company became somebody that did something for them now we're moving in a direction fantastic fantastic well listen we're going to open the lnd vault opening the l and d vault what is the one piece of advice and you may have just answered this question in your last answer here josh but what is the one piece of advice you would give to someone working as a leader in hr right now yeah, it's it's got to be. I think in a in a five minute interaction, can you help somebody find their tingly feeling? Because now we've given them a sense of true north. We've given them a sense of you do add value. It's not this. I mean, HR is so widely varied. Whether you're in leadership or whether you know you got into HR to help people live a better life. And now you're doing a lot of paperwork and you're frustrated by that, but you still have these moments to truly unlock somebody in a way that brings life to their work. And I think even more importantly, brings life to their home life, their family. Fantastic. Love that. With the benefit of hindsight, what would be the one career decision that you would change? Uh, You know, I always, I always want to think not go to the CPA firm that I did, (laughs) but because I went to that CPA firm, I, I, I jumped straight in, straight into the fire. And so it, it caused me to head down this path probably much sooner in life, which is a blessing. Um, in terms of like being useful, 
I would ask people, you know, as you're as you're coming out of, of school or even as you're looking at an organization, the organization I went to was very focused around audit. We did very little consulting. We did very little other services than strict audit. And so my path there was, which prompted me to leave sooner than later, was because I only saw one path towards becoming a partner at a CPA firm, which by the way, Nick, that was my goal. Okay. When I walked in day one, I said, I'm going to be a partner in 10 years. I don't care a hundred hour weeks. I don't care what it takes. Like I'm going to be the guy. And <laughs> two years later I was out the door, but, uh, really thinking about like, okay, do I want to work for this company? If I'm choosing to begin with them, I should think a little bit more long-term and do they have some cool stuff that I could grow into? Sure. Sure. Um, well, it sounds like it's, uh, it's, it's, as you say, it's a tough one for you to change when it's led you to, to where you are now. And with that in mind, if we were sat you know, here again a year from now celebrating what a great year it's been for you, what would you have hoped to have achieved? Oh, so we are in the process of, of truly validating and um, building really strong assessments around the employee brain and the tingly feeling compass. Okay. And you know, in theory, we talk about it and it works, but now we're going out and commissioning. Um, I've brought on a, a research firm to to truly go look at this and create something that I think can change people's lives on a mass, mass, mass basis. Wow, that sounds super, super exciting. Will there be links to that in longer term on your on your website? Yes, it'll be probably front and center. <laughs> <laughs> I'll definitely keep my eyes on that. Fantastic. Free assessment. <laughs> Excellent. Last question before we close the L&D Vault uh, for you, Josh. What is the one piece of advice you would give to someone who is embarking right at the, right at the start of their career, uh, embarking on a career in HR? I think remember who you're trying to serve. Remember a couple of years ago, I had a conversation with, with somebody and they were so excited. They were launching this $2 million LMS learning management system. And they got it built, developers, everything worked well, everybody's certifications, all the courses got loaded. And then they sent out an email and the large organization had a user rate of less than 1%. Wow. Okay. You know, maybe it was indicative of, of the culture there, but I think it's never forget who you're trying to serve. Um, a lot of uh, over the last couple of years, I've gotten into a lot more kind of off-center, but change management work on huge software rollouts. And even as something as simple as the job aid for how somebody punches in or records their time or gets their expenses reimbursed, how that job aid is presented and, and how it helps somebody walk through the process, to me, is an employee engagement tactic. To me, it's showing the human you matter. And I think so many times we get on, we get into roles that either, you know, the paperwork or the stress level gets so high, or we start to focus on these big, big items, a $2 million LMS or a brand new system getting rolled out to everybody. And we kind of, it's easy to forget about the end user and the human being who shows up to work, who genuinely just wants to get their job done and go home. Sure. Sure. Well, what a, what a fantastic way to, uh, to finish the podcast. Thank you ever so much, Josh, for, for joining me today. It's been, a, 
it's created so many images in my mind to take away. I hope it's done the same for the listeners as well. It's been full of uh, fascinating content in the way that you see the world. And uh, it's great. We've got practitioners like yourself out there trying to improve um, the world that we the world that we work and live in on a daily basis. So I, I feel absolutely privileged to have you on the podcast today. Of course, I will put all the links to your, your books, in particular your, your latest book, which is Five Days to Your Best Work Yet, Human-Like Approach to Better Work. Uh, there'll be a link to that on the episode notes, along with a link to Josh's website, which is joshschneider.com. I should add as well that at that website, you can also access his other books, which uh, one of them is called Generation Next Level, which we touched upon in this podcast. And there's also a guide for an engagement guide for managers and leaders there as well, as well as a host of other content, which I absolutely recommend you take a look at. We've got blogs, we've got vlogs, we've got a great graphic and further information about the tingly feeling. And of course, you can contact Josh as well if you're interested in getting involved uh, or getting him involved rather in some keynote speaking for your organization. So please do take a look at that. That's joshschneider.com. And I will put a link in the episode notes. But that leaves us to a close. So thank you ever so much, Josh, uh, for joining us today on the podcast. And I'm very much looking forward to speaking to you all again, you lovely HR and L&D listeners in a couple of weeks. Thanks again, Josh. Nick, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on board. You've been listening to the L&D Podcast with your host, Nick Day of JGA Recruitment, specialist HR recruiters. This podcast has been sponsored by Think Learning. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please review it, share it and subscribe so you never miss a future episode.